On today's show, uh, we're going to have a, a couple of special guests. Uh, I do want to remind you that a couple of weeks ago, we launched what we call the Marion Blue Wave, which is a program by, by which people commit to, say, a one rosary a week for the end of abortion and the closing of all Planned Parenthood facilities in the country. That is really going very well, and we'll give you an update on it later in the program. But the, the website is marionbluewave.com, so you can find all about it there. Okay, I, I want to turn now to our first guest on, on the program today. Her, her name is Lauren Castile, and Lauren graduated in 2013 from Regis University with a Bachelor of Science in Accounting and a Bachelor of Arts in Religious Studies. And she had been very active in the pro-life movement early on in her life as well as right now. And Lauren is, is currently the Director of Development and Church Outreach for Students for Life of America. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jim. It's great to be with you. Now you're coming to us today from Denver, Colorado, is that right? That's right. Yep. Here from Denver. I'm a native, multi-generationally, have a lot of deep roots in the southwestern part of the United States. So it's it's an absolute privilege to represent the pro-life generation and the pro-life movement from the Rocky Mountains. How did you get involved in the pro-life movement? Yeah, I mean, it really goes back to growing up. So I grew up Catholic and my parents really left a important mark on my spiritual journey and my pro-life journey because I knew without a doubt growing up that we were pro-life and that it was what our church taught and that it was what our morality really told us was was right or wrong. There was no question. There was an objective moral truth to protecting life at all ages and stages. And as I started to get older and moved into high school, I really realized that even though I was pro-life, and I knew that I would hold my beliefs firm if I was ever questioned, I didn't know how to effectively defend those pro-life beliefs, especially coming across people who were maybe as pro-choice as I was pro-life. And so I started to look around to see, okay, where can I learn more about my pro-life beliefs? And we had an opportunity in high school. I went to an all-girls Jesuit high school here in the Denver area. And senior year, they gave us the opportunity to choose between a few different retreats. And so I ended up choosing the March for Life out in Washington, D.C. in 2009. And it was just a transformative experience for me. And I connected with Students for Life as a high school senior and went on to Regis University and stayed in touch with Students for Life and um, was able to be able to put my pro-life beliefs into action and defend my beliefs effectively and compassionately and lovingly with other people. And it was just really a no-brainer when it came time to choosing a job. I was choosing between um, a couple of different positions between accounting and between going and working for an aerospace engineering company that I had interned with on the business side or going to work for Students for Life. And, you know, the Lord made it very clear that he was calling me into pro-life work for multiple reasons. And I said yes to that calling. And it's been seven years serving full-time with Students for Life and a number of different positions from a regional coordinator missionary serving the Rocky Mountain region, starting pro-life clubs on campuses with students in high school and college and moving on to, you know, doing the good work of, of development and working with our supporters to help 
foster a deeper culture of generosity within within our world to help support the pro-life efforts that we do. I notice in your title, in addition to development, uh, you do church outreach. What does that involve? Yeah, I think um, really what we found is there were some gaps that, you know, needed to be filled when we would go out there as regional coordinators and go speak to youth groups. What we ended up finding out was there was a gap between, you know, youth ministers and churches and also needing those resources. And so often, you know, what we do is create resources at Students for Life. And we created a church outreach guidebook that basically just helps a group of adults or parishioners at their churches figure out how do they start a pro-life ministry at their parish and what does that look like and oftentimes it looks pretty similar to our student groups and built that guidebook and offer it as a resource to people who want to really invigorate their parish community with pro-life efforts and so you know i speak often at churches in our area and help people that reach out to say hey i want to start a pro-life group at um, our church what does that look like and we get them those resources and oftentimes it's a fantastic opportunity to bring um, one of our team members to their parish and present on pro-life efforts and you know tell them what's happening in their area with um, the pro-life movement ways they can get involved you know ways that they can support students for life missionaries in their area as well as you know just getting connected to the local pro-life community and so it's just you know one of those ministries that is on my heart to be able to help people that you know want to invigorate their church communities who quite honestly need to be more active in pro-life efforts because we know that there are large numbers of post-abortive women and men who've been affected by abortions in their lives sitting in the pews and they need to know where they can go for healing they need to go get connected to the pro-life movement so they have support and resources and that there's an infrastructure there at their church so they know if they come across a pregnant student that they can get connected with their local students for life regional coordinator and they are there to help them be able to navigate that just you know a few weeks ago our regional coordinator was connected to a girl from a local parish community here in the denver area and she was facing unplanned pregnancy and so it was a beautiful model of being the hands and feet of Christ when our regional coordinator, Christina, was able to connect with that girl with the pregnancy center and walk that journey with her and connect with the group that we have, the Respect Life Ministry that we work with at a local parish, and be able to come up with a robust, supportive system young girl facing that unplanned pregnancy as she navigates that decision of whether she's going to parent her child or place her her child for um, adoption with a loving family. What kind of successes have you seen for the pro-life movement in all your time there? I think without a doubt, the Rocky Mountain region really is a ground zero of the pro-life movement because we in the state of Colorado decriminalized abortion before the federal government legalized it with Roe versus Wade. And so we've had, you know, the same abortionist actually doing abortions in Boulder, Colorado, Warren Hearn, since before 1967. And so we have late-term abortion really all over our region in Albuquerque and in the state of Colorado. And so when I came into the region full-time as our regional coordinator missionary, it was pretty lacking in pro-life unity, pro-life activities, and in particular with the student movement. And so there were about five pro-life clubs at any of the colleges, universities, high schools in the state of Colorado and um, throughout the region. 
And so it was really just an opportunity to truly be a missionary and travel around. And so at that point, you know, being able to drive all across Colorado, New Mexico, Wyoming, and Utah, and later on Arizona to just go clipboard on campus, take a clipboard and ask people, hey, are you pro-life? You know, do you want to start a pro-life club? And being able to meet those students and start those groups with them, um, it's been transformative. I mean, now just alone in the state of Colorado within the past seven years, we've grown the region to over 40 active and sustainable students for life groups just in the state of Colorado. And those students are doing amazing things. I mean, even one of the high schools, Regis Jesuit High School, um, which is my alma mater, not that I'm a little bit biased here, but they have a pretty amazing diaper drive every year where they raise, you know, close to, if not over 50,000 diapers for local Catholic charities and diaper banks. And it's just amazing to see these students bring unity to the community and they're working with local pro-life organizations, 40 Days for Life, um, the Respect Life Office through Catholic Charities here, you know, down um, in Colorado Springs, Pike Peak Citizens for Life. And it's really just creating and cultivating this culture of life through all ages um, that's really being invigorated by the passion um, of the pro-life generation here in the Rocky Mountains. When I began fighting Planned Parenthood back in 1985, of course, in addition to their abortion business, we, of course, get highly involved in their sex education and fighting against their sex education programs. And back in the, in the late 80s and the early 90s, if we wanted to find the most offensive literature that Planned Parenthood uh, was putting out, it always came from the Rocky Mountain Planned Parenthood group. So we know that Planned Parenthood is very strong out there and that you're facing a, a very mighty foe. But it sounds like from what you just described that you're uh, having tremendous success in establishing all of these pro-life groups. And to do it in that kind of a, a culture and that kind of an attitude is really, really uh, impressive. That's right. I mean, yeah, we really do see ground zero in the Rocky Mountain region. So it's exciting to know that. You know, there's huge progress being made with having the infrastructure of the Students for Life groups available for just like you're talking about, Jim. If we're seeing things in the schools, we have groups set up in those schools to be able to combat that and question, hey, do we really want Planned Parenthood as a resource in our schools? Whether that's our local colleges, whether that's our high schools, and even just having a good network of adult supporters in the area that can tell us what's happening at their kids' schools. You know, you must deal with a, with a lot of, obviously, women who are facing crisis pregnancies like the one you just talked about. Are, are there any stories uh, about women that you've dealt with that kind of stick in your mind that, wow, this, this was something really special? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's, um, there's a few stories that stick in my mind. Probably the most transformative story for me, you know, dating back, it was in 2015. So we as students try to put on what we call these student leadership workshops every year throughout the country in different communities. And so those are aimed to really bring together students to train them on their pro-life beliefs, get them activated, you know, ensure that they're becoming the strongest pro-life leaders they can. And so I was planning one for Denver and had a friend who worked at a local young adult outreach through the diocese. And she said, hey, I want to get these um, young adults trained and connected. So can I bring them? So I said, sure. So she brought about 10 of them. And the whole day, they didn't seem really connected. And so, you know, as a pro-life leader, it was always that 
okay, is this being effective, Lord? I trust that you've brought the right people into the room and give me the right words and pray for the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And that's exactly what happened because I received an email a couple of weeks later from one of the girls who came as a young adult leader. And one of the things that she said was, hey, I just wanted to let you know something happened during that day. And I felt something moving in my heart. And I had come to this event pro-choice without a doubt. You know, my family's always been pro-choice and it was just something that we always believed in. And she said, when I went home that day, I left knowing that I was 100% pro-life and that I was proud to be pro-life. And now I knew how to talk to my family about it. And I convinced my sister not to have an abortion. And she said, here's a picture of my niece. And I was able to meet that sweet little girl who's now four years old, just a couple of months ago, actually. And it was probably one of the most moving experiences I've ever had just to be able to hold that, you know, that precious life in my arms and know that, you know, your pro-life work is not in vain, no matter how many battles and challenges that you face. And that girl who attended the workshop is now just really involved in the pro-life movement here in the Denver area and is just on fire to be able to do more and is going out to the March for Life for her first time this January. And so it's just really awesome to see lives being saved. And that's just one story. And I know one of the things that's so important to us, too, is being able to connect people with post-abortion healing. And so it's kind of funny because I always tell people, you're told um, not to talk about abortion at Christmas and Thanksgiving and family events. And I always encourage people I talk to to say you have to be talking about it at family events because you could be the only person that is introducing, you know, this conversation about abortion in a loving and compassionate way and be able to connect them with the supportive resources that someone might need. And so I remember just connecting with a family member who had had a past experience with an abortion. And she said, you know, it's been decades. I'm I'm talking, you know, probably close to 30-something years, and I've never told a soul about this particular situation, and she had just confided in me, and to be able to minister her in that moment and connect her with post-abortion resources in her community was just a gift, and I think that's what we see is when people become trained in their pro-life beliefs and aware of the resources of their community, they're able to transform the lives of not just strangers, you know, like us on campuses, but their friends and family and the relationships that they have to be able to really show them that there's an opportunity for healing in their life and be, like I said, you know, the hands and feet of Christ and, and walk that journey with them. What, what would you like people to know about the pro-life work that they might not already know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really in my head that that's a two-part answer because I think Everyone has a part to play in this. We know that that preborn child is a biological human being, and it deserves the same rights as all of us born human beings. And once you know that, and once you've seen the humanity of the preborn child, you have a duty to work to protect that. And so whether that looks like getting involved in starting a respect life ministry at your church, going out and praying outside of the Planned Parenthood or abortion facility in your community, you know, helping somebody get involved with Students for Life and starting a pro-life club as a student. Everyone has a role to play, and they have a duty and an obligation to, to discern what their role is in the pro-life movement. And then the other part, I would say, is a lot of people, you know, either take for granted or don't realize how heavy the spiritual warfare 
is within the pro-life movement. And so those of us, you know, that have dedicated our lives to fighting abortion, it really is you're, fight, you're fighting the work of, of the devil because it's really counter to what he, he wants. You know, he can't create life, and so he attacks human life at its most vulnerable stages. And so we're going up against Satan every single day. And whether we work at home or out there in the communities, we face that spiritual warfare. And so I think just being cognizant of that as supporters of the pro-life movement or people who are involved in the movement, you know, I just ask you to become prayer warriors for yourself and protecting yourself as you are engaged in pro-life activities, praying for those who are working, you know, within the pro-life movement and remembering to pray for those who are facing those unplanned pregnancies so they are able to navigate that decision and see God's grace and his love to be able to protect life. Are there any final things that you would like to say in the last three minutes or so of our segment here? Yeah. First and foremost, I would just ask for your prayers for the pro-life movement and the team at Students for Life and our families. I think, you know, adding us to your daily prayer list or, you know, lighting a candle for us and praying for us at church is fantastic. You know, one of the things I want to offer is if any of you want to get connected or have questions or want to come to an event that we have around around the country, you know, to email me. So my email is lauren at studentsforlife.org, and it's L-A-U-R-E-N at studentsforlife.org, all spelled out. And then I would encourage all of you to just discern, you know, whether or not you're called to financially support our ministry at Students for Life. You know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and so our ability to go out and serve these young people that are just getting on fire for life and transforming their lives to be able to defend humanity at its earliest level and support pregnant and parenting students all across the country. I'd encourage you to support our work, whether that's through a recurring donation with your local missionary or a one-time contribution. You can find that information either by emailing me or you can visit our website at studentsforlife.org and there's a donate button right on that front page. But I would just appreciate, you know, any support and prayers that your audience has to offer our team. I want to thank you not only for coming on my show, but also for all of the work that you're doing for the for the babies, for the uh, women who, who are involved in, in situations where they need assistance. You do absolutely fantastic, and I thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Jim. It's been a privilege. And I just um, am so thankful for the opportunity to speak to your audience and can't wait to see how God works to cultivate, you know, a stronger and more vibrant culture of life in our nation. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you. All right. That was Lauren Castile. Lauren is the uh, Director of Development and Church Outreach for Students for Life of America. If you want to get in touch with Lauren, especially if you live out in the Rocky Mountain area, her email address is lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, at studentsforlife.org. Again, that's lauren at studentsforlife.org. Just an absolutely fantastic young lady. But I want to just give you a little bit of update. I kind of promised at the beginning that I would mention the Marion Blue Wave, which we have been talking about here for the last couple of weeks. The Marion Blue Wave, um, inspired by Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas, and a program put together by the American Life League to have people commit to saying a rosary a week for the closing of all Planned Parenthood facilities in the United States and for the end of abortion. 
not only here in the United States, but around the world. But but we it is a big focus on closing down Planned Parenthood facilities. Uh, the program was launched about two and a half weeks ago. Our goal at the beginning was to have a thousand people uh, sign up for it and, and commit to doing that rosary a week. We have succeeded beyond our imagination because we overnight last night, we passed 1,500 people uh, who have signed up for this. One of the things that also surprised us is that uh, we now have people signed up from 15 different countries around the world. 15 different countries, just people everywhere who are getting messages about uh, the Marion Blue Wave. If you want to find out more about it or you want to sign up to say a rosary a week for the closing of all Planned Parenthood facilities and the ending of abortion, please go to Marion Blue Wave, all one word, you know, no spaces, MarionBlueWave.com. And when you go there, there will be a lot of information on the front page, but there will be a, a button to click to say make your commitment. And you click there. It's very easy to sign up. You only have to get a very little bit of information. And even if you're not thinking about signing up right now, you say, nah, that's not something. Go to Marion Blue Wave and click on the map. All right, you'll see a button on the right-hand side. Uh, click on the map and open the map up and then expand the map to full screen. You can actually view around the world. And uh, the map has for the United States red buildings, which are all of the Planned Parenthood buildings in the United States. It also has blue uh, individual human figures. That's people who have signed up and you will see all the people. You know, we, we're 1,500 people all across the map. It, it is inspiring to see. There are also some groups that have signed up and they're represented by a blue circle with, with some faces. Uh, and you'll see, I think we had 22 groups as of this morning. So I invite you to go look, even if you're saying, eh, I don't think I want to sign up. That's OK. Go look at the map. The map will be exciting. You will understand just how many people are out there and who are joining in the Marion Blue Wave. So we encourage you to do that. Okay, uh, I want to turn to our attention now to the next guest. Her name is Tina Whittington, and I've known Tina for many, many years. She has the position of the executive vice president of Students for Life of America. So I'm going to ask Tina to talk a bit about her pro-life activities because they are numerous and they go back into the last century. So Tina, welcome to the show. Jim, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be on your show. For, for people who do not know, uh, Students for Life of America headquarters is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And American Life League's headquarters is in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, so, so we're kind of neighbors here, uh, and we're, yeah. we're not too far apart in our building. So it's really exciting to, to, to have you on and, and talk to people around the, the country and around the world. Yeah, no, we're sort of a secret pro-life hub here. We also have NIFLA down the street as well. It's kind of crazy how we all hover right here in Northern Virginia. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> and, and then you throw in 40 days for life and, you know, yep. no one, it's, it's no wonder that there's not an abortion facility within an hour of any direction from here. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. How did you get involved in, in the pro-life movement? 
Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question. So I'm actually from Portland, Oregon. That's where I was born and raised. I was kind of jokingly call it the spiritual heart of darkness of our land, um, but it kind of is. Um, to where a lot of really bad legislation comes out when it comes to the life issue, whether it's beginning or end of life. So I was raised in a secular home, and when I was in eighth grade, I got invited to go to church, and I actually had a conversion experience and got baptized and joined joined the church. And our youth director uh, did a whole presentation. I was probably about 16 at this time on the life issue. And I sort of went into it because I'd never really heard much about abortion or pro-life before this. And I, I kind of went into the whole presentation thinking that, you know, abortion is okay if you're if it's like rape because that's like pretty bad. Um, but our youth minister showed us like the Leonard Nelson pictures. We actually listened, this is dates me, but an audio tape of uh, Carol Everett giving testimony about what was happening in her abortion clinics in Texas and hearing all that and then, we read scriptures and we saw this picture of an aborted baby and it just, I went, wow, this is so bad. Abortion is terrible. It is a human being. It doesn't matter the circumstances, but I felt like, you know, I heard this statistic of you know, millions of babies have died through abortion. And I was like, wow, I'm just one person. And so I really honestly didn't do anything because I didn't know what there was to do. And I feel like a lot of young people feel like that, that, wow, this is a big issue, but I'm only one person, what can I do? So it actually wasn't until I met my husband. So my husband was doing Rock for Life, and this is when I was now in college, and they were praying in front of an abortion clinic um, in, in downtown Portland. They were getting people to register to vote. They were uh, doing benefit concerts for crisis pregnancy centers, working with bands that got pro-life information out all across the country when they were on tour. And so one of our very first dates was actually going and praying at an abortion clinic and then going out for bagels and coffee afterwards. So I became pro-life in high school, didn't know there was anything I could do about it until I met my husband. So I always kind of joke that I married into the pro-life movement. He really opened my eyes to not just that we can do something about abortion, but um, having been converted and raised in um, a non-Catholic church, I hadn't heard anything about like the birth control pill and like those really early abortions. And so until I met my husband, I didn't know about that or about natural fertility awareness methods and all this stuff. So like my whole world expanded when I met him and then I got very activated um, working with Rock for Life, going on tour with bands, speaking across the country to young people. So I would say um, that's really my pro-life story and how I got involved. I feel like the gospel is our number one mission, and I feel like this issue of protecting the pre-born and being their voice is number two for me. It's the thing that is taking the most lives physically here. Obviously, the gospel saves us spiritually, but we can stand in the way of that abortion by talking to women, by speaking out for the pre-born. So I just feel like this has been my passion. And then young people have also been my passion through the years. And as you mentioned, you know, you started out with getting involved with Rock for Life with your with a young man who would who would later become your mm -hmm. husband. You know, now you're working for Students for Life. Uh, you've had a lot of different things in between, but it seems that yeah. you know you really 
your history with the pro-life movement has been has been uh, working with young people, and you've done that mm-hmm. over the last twenty years. So I guess years, my, yeah. my first my first question would be: How have things changed over the, the the last twenty years, or have they changed in terms of working with young people and working with the, with the youth? Yeah. So obviously, uh, in two decades, our culture has radically changed. Um, I jokingly went and spoke at this Spotsylvania conservative women's event the other night. And I was like, can you imagine if 20 years ago I came in here and said, we'd have to protect babies who are born alive from infanticide, that, you know, there'd be gay marriage, that we'd have all this transgender issues. Like 20 years ago, this wasn't even on our radar that these things would be happening. So I think there's been a major, major shift in culture, cultural morality, the involvement of the church, all that. But I would say when I first started out, we did a lot with using the pictures of the abortion victims, um, the aborted baby images outside the abortion clinics, at concerts. We showed the silent scream all the time. People saw that and were convicted. And we saw a lot of people becoming pro-life through that method. But I do feel like as the years have progressed, that method has sort of shut people down and we've had to be more creative in how do we dialogue with people? How do we get them to come out of their shell and talk to us? Because we do feel like when we force the conversation out about abortion with someone, we win um, because abortion is so horrible. The act itself is so violent. When people are talking to you about it and you open their eyes to that, there's just no denying how terrible it is. But we live in this earbud culture. Like when I was in college, if someone had came with a graphic image display, I would have stopped and like talked to them and like I would have had to work through how I feel about this issue with this new information. But there's been studies done on millennials now that say millennials are okay living in cognitive dissonance. So they are okay getting new information that conflicts with their position and just living in that place where Gen X was more like, nope, I've got to work through this and figure out what I really think about this and and incorporate this new information into my worldview or my position on this issue. So that has been a radical shift just in in culture. But also on campuses, everyone's walking around their earbuds in. Oh, my gosh, Jim. It's like, hello, we're over here. Pay attention to us. So I think... That's been really difficult, too, is that we have to create new ways to either create controversy on campus or events that will pull people in or displays that will catch their eye. A few years ago, we implemented a Cemetery of the Innocent that are bright pink, the Planned Parenthood pink, and it's Planned Parenthood Cemetery of the Innocent, and it's, you know, the 911 crosses that represent the abortions they do alone each day in the country. And that draws people's eyes. So I, I do feel like we're in a, a culture where it's harder to capture people's attention. And so many young people are okay. I literally had a student tell me once, it's really sad that a baby has to die for a woman to have her rights. But it's a paradox, and you just have to be okay with that. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's, a par- it's a paradox I can't, I can't live in. I can't live in a paradox where someone has to die. Like, that's insane. So... It's definitely changed, for sure. You're right. How do you get people's attention uh, mm-hmm. must be a, a real challenge for all of your, your folks on, on college campuses. Uh, and you've described some of that. 
Um, is, is there any particular stories from today, from the last five years or, or so, uh, that uh, come to your mind when, when you think about how things have changed and uh, interactions you've had with people? Like I said, it's about capturing attention and getting someone to stop and think about it. And so we have had a lot of success with getting attention through different means. And I, I would say the number one conversation when we do get that student, that young person to stop and talk to us, the number one thing they say is, I haven't really thought about what I feel about abortion. So it's, it's something that they're not even really thinking about. I think there's this idea of the, the right to choose or it's a woman's choice or whatever is so ingrained in our culture now that it's a default position. So people aren't generally like thinking about it. So some things that have really worked. We brought our socks. We collected hundreds of thousands of baby socks to show how many abortions Planned Parenthood does each year. And we took them out on campus with just the amount of socks that represent the babies for one day at a Planned Parenthood, which when you put those 900 socks in uh, laundry baskets end up being kind of a pretty big display. And I think when we tie you know, just talking to students, they come over and like, what is this? You know, what are all these baby socks? People know what a baby sock is right away. It's a sock for a foot for a baby. Um, right. And they pick, they pick them up, and there's something about being tactile and touching it and connecting their brain to their body and having this conversation of, well, that, that represents a baby whose life was ended. That has had a really dramatic effect on people. When we took this out on campuses, when I was out on campuses, people asked if they could keep the socks. Can I, can I take one? Like, I think there's a, it, it's a huge win when we can connect people emotionally to this issue, but also to the humanity of the preborn. And I think that's what it is. And, and that's how we win is connecting people to the humanity of the preborn. Because who isn't happy when a baby's born? Everyone's happy when a baby's born. You used to have a sign on your office at American Life League gym that said, and I, this has been forever steered on my brain, but when we need a miracle, God sends a baby. <laughs> and I think that that's so true, but we have to connect people to that. And I think the other thing that I went out on campus with is we took the abortion instrument out on campus with a display that showed from medical diagrams, from a medical textbook, how abortion procedures were done. Um, and we had a fetal development display with it, those um, touch of life. Have you, I'm sure you've seen those, the touch of life, the early first trimester and then second and third trimester babies. And that really dramatically impacted people too because most people don't know how gruesome abortion is and that it is a violent act. And so again, it just tied it to this violent act is happening to these like little human beings. So I'd say those two things in the last year, I felt when I've been on campus with those have tied people emotionally, you know, and the same thing, they pick up these, I don't know, when, um, I used to do, I don't know if you knew this, I took nine and a half years off between working for Rock for Life and working for Students for Life and I had four babies and I worked for Rachel Vineyard here in Virginia we had a Fredericksburg retreat. And so I volunteered and did that. And when you go to the Rachel's Vineyard training, she talks about this thing that happens in our brain when we are physically touching something and doing something and processing it. It creates new synapses between your right and left hemispheres. And when we do that, 
it opens people up to like new kind of aha moments. And I think that you have to catch their attention and get them to take their earbuds out. But then when you have them there and they're, they're holding the instruments, they're holding the fetal models and, you know, they're holding this sock. There's just, there's something that happens that is, a major connection between the humane, the preborn, and the actual violent act of abortion. You know, I'm thinking as you're talking here, you know, we have a lot of listeners to this group who are involved with local pro-life efforts who um, have, you know, abortion facilities in their town, and they could do the same thing with the socks. They they could, you know, find out about how many abortions are taking place, and they could have the mm-hmm. socks out there. You say they, they were very, very effective. So, um, maybe my my audience can take some of that home and and say, hey, this is something we can do in our town. If students for life can do the baby socks, and and if they wanted to get in touch with you, uh, Tina, and uh, find out you know more about it, uh, mm-hmm. what would be your contact information? My email is just Tina T I N A at studentsforlife.org. Students with oh. an S F O R L I S E dot org, or you can find me through our website, which is just studentsforlife.org. And we oh. have baby socks left. If you want some and you want to do a display, email me. I would love to connect you. The abortion instruments, you can actually buy them online, which is kind of scary, sketchy, but having those there with those touch-of-life fetal models also is just another connection point to connect the humanity to preborn with the violent act of abortion and what it really is. And I just want to say one more thing. So one of the best things I've done at Students for Life is for the last 10 years, I've gotten to organize our national conference in Washington, D.C., the day after the March for Life. So this year, um, we've changed it from the SLA National Conference to the National Pro-Life Summit, and we're partnering with Live Action, Alliance Defending Freedom, the Heritage Foundation, Heritage Action for America, um, and we are making this bigger. So I would love, like I said, people, I love training students. Like I said, when I was in high school, I was like, abortion is so big, I don't know what to do. And so I didn't do anything. And I always say, I wish I'd had students for life because I think the passion was there, the direction wasn't. And that's what we offer students. And so you can come and join us the day after the March for Life, Saturday, January 25th. We have over 30 breakouts. We've got Charlotte Pence is coming, Governor Scott Walker, Charlotte Yost, all, uh, Charmaine Yost, we've got great speakers. And the website for that is prolifesummit.org. And if you can add an extra day to your pilgrimage to the March for Life, I promise you, you will leave with new tools and new ideas to implement to end abortion in your community. Tina, I, I really want to thank you for, for coming on the show today and for all of your great information on how to get the pro-life message to young people as difficult as as it is. And I, I congratulate you on, on all your successes and your four children. And uh, yeah. yes, yeah, we, we, we run into each other every now and then here in Fredericksburg, but I really yeah. thank you for coming on the show. And thank you, Jim, for being one of the first people to pour into me as a young pro-life person. I, I really appreciate you and your efforts and work and all your special knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. That was Tina Whittington, who is the executive vice president of Students for Life of America. Studentsforlife.org is the website. And Tina 
at studentsforlife.org is Tina's email address. If you're fighting abortion and, and you're dealing with youth anywhere in the country, Tina's the expert. As we wrap up today's show here, uh, we, we still have uh, probably three, four minutes uh, before we go out. I just want to mention that the trials for David Daleiden, Sandra Merritt, and the rest of the Center for Medical Progress team continue to go on in California. It, it's been a very interesting uh, set of circumstances here. There is a criminal trial that right now is on hold until a judge makes the decision as to whether um, there's enough evidence against uh, David Leiden and Sandra Merritt primarily to go to an actual uh, criminal trial, which could result in, in jail time for both uh, David and Sandra. And then there is the civil trial, which does not involve jail time, but could involve millions of dollars in, in uh, fines. There's just all kinds of developments on a daily basis. We invite you to go to the Thomas More Law Center, you know, follow it there. They are commenting on it and, and giving updates on it. Also, I've spent the last couple of weeks in both California speaking with, with people in Florida where Planned Parenthood in, in both of those states is moving small clinic or closing down small clinics in one community and then moving to, in most cases, the community next door and opening very large facilities. You know, large facilities mean, meaning generally more than 10 thousand square feet, which we call a mega abortion center. Planned Parenthood is just trying to modernize all of its facilities because somebody told them that they were losing customers because they were they were not modernized. And so they're out there spending millions and millions and millions of dollars modernizing their facilities. But of course, they also said they're going to spend forty five million dollars in the upcoming election to get their people elected. So why they want their people elected? Because uh, right now they get uh, over $500 million a year in taxpayer money. So if they can get their people elected to office, they'll give them even more. Just an absolutely crazy system that we've got going on here. So as we get into next month, the month of November, we have All Saints Day. We have All Souls Day. It's time to, to remember uh, those who have gone before us in terms of the, the uh, teaching of the Catholic Church and the spreading of Catholicism. Uh, this is, in fact, a Catholic radio station. This is a you know Catholic program. We know we have a lot of non-Catholics out there listening, and we welcome you and, and invite you to come back all the time, but being as as we are based in, in Catholicism, the month of November gets to be a very important month for us, and so we, we ask you, uh, next Friday starts the month of November, so uh, it's time to, uh, to really spend some spiritual time between now and Christmas, and to, to give um, a lot of thanks to our Lord, and a lot of thanks to our Blessed Mother for all that they have given us and all of the, the ways they, they let us live our lives here. So I want to wrap up the show now the, the way we, we always wrap up our show, and that is by asking our Blessed Mother, Mother of God, please spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity now and at the hour of our death. Amen. <laughs> 